Welcome to episode 6 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen with host Matt Payne. Today's guest is Michael Bolino, one of my absolute favorite photographers from Portland, Oregon, where I used to live. Uh, man, if you don't know Michael Bolino's work, you are totally missing out. He is one of the premier landscape photographers um, of this decade. Truly, check his work out. Um, you know, I got the pleasure of meeting Michael kind of on a just weird whim. I was, um, I went to a 500px meetup at a, a bar called Horse Brass in Portland and met some of his friends there. And then we started hanging out and drinking beers all the time. And he's just such a cool dude. So I think you guys are going to love this episode. Um, we spent a lot of time talking about uh, just his philosophy on photography, how he got into landscape photography how how we share our passion of connecting with nature through photography. Um, you guys are going to love this one. Um, just a quick shout out, uh, just a reminder, if you guys could please, please, please um, go to iTunes or Stitcher and uh, rate the podcast. would really appreciate it. And if you could share this with other people who you think might enjoy listening to a podcast about landscape photography, that would be awesome. Thanks so much. Enjoy. Michael Bellino, man, it is awesome having you on the podcast, uh, and I miss you. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm glad, I mean, fuck <laughs> you moved away, but it sounds like you're having a blast down in Durango. Yeah, for sure, for sure, I mean, I miss Oregon, I miss Portland, I miss the breweries, I miss hanging out with you guys, and, you know, totally. all that stuff, and waterfalls, and wildflowers. Totally, let, let me tell you, though, this, this winter has been brutal. Like I've you heard, man. Go away. It's just been. It's still raining. Like it's 52 and raining today. Um, it's been the worst winter in over a decade. In fact, I think we set some rainfall records. Um, it's been brutal. Like very few, like sunny days and 65. Like we probably had just like two or three. So you picked wow. a good year to move away. <laughs> oh man, how have you been coping? You know, it's it's actually not too bad. I'm kind of used to it. Um, Kind of weird, you know, I, I, I bike commute to work. Yeah. And I tell people that kind of helps out. Like, it's February, it's it's 40 or 38 degrees out, it's pouring rain, and it's dark as, as the night, obviously. And you get on your bike in the morning, you're just in it. You're kind of in those elements, and you have to kind of just deal and be at peace with it. So, in some ways, just kind of like forcing yourself to get on your bike and get all your rain gear on and just like <laughs> go to work, it, it, it kind of helps out, I think. And so try yeah. to avoid it and everything, hop in your car and, and avoid raindrops, all those things. So Are you still living in Woodstock? Yep, Woodstock. Southeast, deep southeast Portland. Yep. It's hopping. We just got a double mountain in here. Oh, <laughs> man. Yeah. I missed some double mountain. Double mountain. The pizza's fantastic. The beer is pretty good, too. Cool. 
So, dude, what do you uh, what have you been shooting? Cause you like when I message you to get on the podcast, you're like, oh, I'm going to Utah. What what have you been shooting? Yeah, uh, so we went to Utah late March, and I went with uh, Bowman and Kibby, who are those yeah two clowns you know, and they're great guys, good photographers, fun as hell to go on a road trip with because they just they make me laugh. Like those guys are way wittier than I am, and I'm just in the back seat or the front seat wherever and just cracking up. Well, especially the two of them together. Oh, my God. And once Kibby gets tired, you know, it just goes into like a different realm, which is fantastic. Oh, I know. I, I can't oh. remember if um, you were with me or if it was, I think maybe it was Cram. I can't remember. <laughs> he was giving us a ride home or something, and he decided to get out that auto-tuner app, you know, where like <laughs> he like sings like some made-up rap he comes up with into it, and it like does an auto-tuner version of it. Yeah, totally. I'm actually not hurt. Wait, oh, oh, I remember now. It was uh, me and him and Alex Noriega and, Alex and is, Alex's and girlfriend. girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And Alex was like, Kibby, Kibby, pipe down, dude. You got like, yeah. calm down a little bit. No, Kibby's awesome. Dude. I love that guy so much. In fact, it's been his birthday. So after I talk to you, I'm going to meet him and Bowman and Scott Miller for a drink. Uh, Sweet. That'll be fun. At the horse brass. Oh, man, I miss the horse brass so much. That's where I met you, dude. I know. Yeah, man, I miss the horse brass, but, man, uh, you know, in Durango, it's not too bad. I live a block away from, uh, it's called Steamworks. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they've got, like, 20 beers on tap. It's, wow, it's pretty good. That's great. Yeah. I've never been to Durango. I've actually, southwest Colorado is a little open open spot on the map for me. I never really explored down there much. Uh, yeah, man, it's... in 93? Uh, Lake City or someplace like that? And that's yep. about as far southwest that I've gotten, so... Dude, you know, you guys, or at least you, I don't know, should plan a, uh, like, fall colors trip down here. Yeah, that'd be great. And then we'll go up to, like, uh, Kebler Pass and, like... You know, just kill it. <laughs> oh, that'd be fantastic. Owl Creek Pass, like one of my favorite places on earth in the fall. Yeah. Maybe do some last dollar over by Telluride. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, I see those images every fall and it's like, makes me salivate a bit. <laughs> just the color combinations and if you get the fresh snow with the aspens going off, it's pretty, pretty, pretty special, yeah. Yeah, I, I was able to, I only shot one day this fall, which is sad, but... Um, I was actually in Breckenridge for a conference, and then I drove from Breckenridge to Durango, and I went like through Crested Butte and over Kebler Pass, and then down to like Ridgeway and shot uh, Mount Snuffles and stuff. It was, wow. Wow. and like it had just snowed the night before, so uh, East Beckwith Mountain was just like, oh, it was oh, fab fantastic. Oh, it sounds great. Sounds great. Yeah, man. So, uh, so what's new for you in the uh, in the old photography world, man? You know, just uh, just doing my thing. Just kind of um, uh, we went to Utah, like I said, and hit the Badlands, and then did some slots, and then we went to White Pocket, which is you know after all these years is the first oh. time I've been there. That place is pretty pretty. I mean, I didn't really know what to expect, honestly. Like I knew it was gonna be amazing, but I didn't really. I just kind of weird unease about visiting it because there's been so many phenomenal images coming out of there and yeah i didn't really research it much like i knew generally they're kind of the more popular comps and places to shoot but 
I don't know, like I was kind of like a little apprehensive, which is kind of a weird feeling for me. Yeah. Um, after like a, a one day of scouting or like whatever, a few hours of scouting, I was like, the place is pretty. There's so many ideas out there. You can. You Isn't can, it crazy? Like, like um, yeah. I haven't shot the desert hardly at all, but I went to um, Grand Canyon on kind of a spot, spontaneous trip a month ago. Yeah. And like the comps in the desert are just everywhere. Like there isn't like you walk 20 feet and you're like, oh, there's a cool comp. <laughs> oh my God. It's, it's nuts. And for being a Northwest photographer, it's so vastly, obviously it's like a polar opposite. It's a vast oh, yeah. experience. And I just feel like that whole Utah, Nevada, the whole area, even beyond that is just, you know, Nevada and Death Valley. And I mean, there's so much to shoot down there and it's just, it's pretty inspiring. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm pretty jealous of the photographers like you and David Thompson, people like that who live kind of in close proximity to those areas. Um, Cause man, it's, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty special. Yeah, I'm actually going, uh, I don't know if David Thompson knows it or not, but I'm actually going on a trip with him in May down to uh, Hans Mesa um, in Arizona. That's, is that near Monument Valley? Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. I've heard of that place. I, I, it's so funny. I'd never heard of it. And uh, my buddy Kane reached out to me. He's like, hey, we're do- I'm doing this trip to Hans Mesa. I got a Navajo guide. Oh, wow. And I was like, uh, I don't even need to see pictures. I'm in. <laughs> right. So can you only go with the Navajo guide? Uh, apparently, yeah. Oh, that's really cool. That's a great opportunity, yeah. Yeah, it's, I'm, cool. a, I'm pretty excited for that. Um, that'll, be, that'll be fun. And I've never met him, actually. I've, I've been following his work for a few years and really like it. So it'll be fun to hang out with him and chat. Yeah, no, David, I mean, I've met him twice, I think. Just whenever I go down to Southwest, all the CPs available. And a couple of times we've met up such a cool dude and his portfolio is amazing like in terms of knowing the southwest photographer i feel like that's definitely a guy i recommend or a photographer i recommend to kind of visit their website and yeah familiarize himself and he also has a really just talking about the art of photography and the, the state of photography like he's a really good dude to talk about that once yeah because we were there god what happened we were in death valley two years ago and my son got really sick like like his fever spikes like 103 and we had to bail out of death valley back to vegas and he met me out and just talked with him for like an hour or so, an hour and a half, like just cool dude, great dude. And you know, everyone who meets him says the same thing, just a really solid dude. Yeah. Guy, fantastic photographer. Um, so hopefully that trip works, that'd be great. Yeah, I'm excited for it. Uh, I mean, I'm, I've never shot there, so I'm just kind of going in cold, but that's, I kind of like doing that anyways. Like just, I'm not even gonna research anything. I'm just gonna show up and find something cool. <laughs> I know what you're saying about that. Yeah, definitely. There's definitely yeah. a thing of being over researched. Yeah, and you know, I think when you over research something, then you're like obsessed with <clears throat> trying to find a certain composition and mass, you know, like trying to copy it for like someone else. And uh, eh, I don't know. Yeah. Totally. Or you just kind of like you just get more locked into what the possibilities are because that's all you really see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, okay, I know that's out there, but check out this thing over here and I can kind of work this angle and, or let me go explore down there further away from where people tend to go shoot. So exactly. I mean, and that's another advantage of the North or not the Northwest, the desert is you can roam, right? You can kind of right. roam around these. You're areas. not trapped by a river and a giant waterfall or whatever. Yeah, exactly. For shooting the creeks. And I mean, especially the creeks and forests. Well, especially the creeks and falls, I should say, mm-hmm. you kind of, you have these finite or very location wise, finite elements to kind of work with and try to arrange and use. 
Right. I mean, I remember I went to uh, Masi Grotto and it was like, okay, there's like five compositions total. <laughs> yep. Basically, um, you can mix it up with vocal length, but for the most part, it's there's what you see is what you get. I mean, it's a very tight little canyon with a little waterfall at the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. It's so funny because, yeah, I haven't been there since probably three years. I've gone there t- three total times. I feel like I'm kind of done with the place. Yeah. Not because I feel like I got what I want, but I just feel like I don't want to visit it too often. Sure. Um, but the last time I was there, like there was a, there was an absolute lineup to go shoot kind of where that fern is and where the kind of the leading line with the creek is up to the falls itself. Uh-huh. And in the process of waiting there, like there was this, this seasonal falls kind of coming down, being framed on the bottom by these ferns. Oh yeah. <laughs> and really only because I had to wait for other people to kind of finish going through their, their, their shooting um did i come up with one of my favorite one of my personal my own work favorite shots of uh, from the gorge and uh i think i just posted actually to my instagram account so um i know i like it i dig it you know it's not the most insanely great shot but for whatever reason i really appreciate it but uh so that's one time where a spot which i expected not to be that popular was popular which actually led to um me kind of saying well what else is around here you know right because then you're like well i don't want to just sit here and wait for other people to get their shot <laughs> yeah, totally. yeah. yeah i think i've only had that experience a couple of times but i i really try to avoid those kind of scenarios just because like i don't know it's like why oh i'm gonna get the exact same shot as someone else like i don't know yeah. that just doesn't appeal to me yeah, anymore it used to but not anymore I think that's part of the progression as a photographer, right? So, like, when you start out, like, you see these images online or wherever you yeah. be, and you're like, whoa, that's so awesome. Like, oh, that's weird. This is, this is in this location. When I go there, I'm going to kind of try to seek that out and shoot it and do your own take. And and it's a great learning tool because you For can see sure. what people have done, and you can see the type of lighting conditions that need to occur to have a strong image of that particular place or composition. But then, like, after a while, like, you're like, oh, this is the composition everyone shoots, and I got some pretty good light, but even though it's kind of a cool image, it doesn't really do much for me. So I think as people do this longer and longer, and this is why I try to coach people on in some ways, is like, you know, it, 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 it's much more rewarding to kind of seek out things you haven't really seen before. And, and, and I think it's to the point where I don't even think about, like for me, if I go to a spot um, like white pocket, like I kind of knew the, the the comps that people tend to shoot a lot, and I kind of, without subconscious, just avoided them. Yeah. Um, and just kind of felt there's more things out there to to do, and um, I don't know. I just feel like it's just, that's just a general progression. I think that people go through. Um, yeah, and I think it's right? part of it's too. I guess if you you know if you move to a new area and you're into photography or like okay, what's around here that people have shot? And then you start looking into it and you're like, oh yeah, I want to shoot that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, But it's so much more rewarding, at least for me, when like you find something that just speaks to you and no one else has really shot that before or shot it quite the way you shot it. And and then you present it to the world and everyone's like, holy shit, that's amazing, man. Totally. I I love that feeling. (laughs) No, it's really cool. No, it's, it's a really rewarding feeling. And and sometimes you present to the world and people are like, oh, that's, that's phenomenal, man. Way to go. And sometimes you present to the world and they're like, eh, whatever. You're like, eh, that's lame. <laughs> but I'm kind of like, eh, whatever too. Like, I, this is a great shot. You know, I, I love it for myself and what I'm after and, and what, you know, where I want to go photographically. So 
you know it's it's cool i mean it's cool to get the feedback but it's also cool to kind of be like yeah no one really likes it but hey you know it's a cool shot for me yeah actually um a couple years ago when i shot in the gorge with uh kane engelbert um buddy his mark has heidi i don't know if you've seen his work um he came with us and uh he's kind of he has that philosophy 100 percent. like if you look at his images you won't recognize many familiar places yeah which is kind of cool it's like oh like that's somewhere no one else has probably shot before and i like that so so that's fantastic yeah um so michael what uh i know one of the things that we share in common is kind of our our journey of how we got into photography but i kind of wanted to pick your brain about that what uh how did you get here? Because you're a pretty accomplished landscape photographer. You've been on the cover of Outdoor Photographer, I believe. Uh-huh. And in general, you're a badass. <laughs> but you're also like the one of those humble dudes. You're like, yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> so how did you get here, man? Well, um, so grew up in Maryland, which is East Coast, and kind of between D.C. and Annapolis, Maryland, and didn't really have much much exposure to the outdoors growing up until I got to college. And then in college, I met a good friend my freshman year, Dan Dan the Mountain Man, who had done a Knowles course, you know, the lead climb. And this guy said, just started taking me on trips to um, backpack around the Appalachians and then up to New Hampshire for spring break and winter break and Maine one time for winter break. And just did some backpack with him and some climbs. And he kind of showed me the ropes literally and figuratively and did a couple road trips out to Colorado and uh, Wyoming and that area during the summers of college. But anyway, like, so I was exposed to this whole world of the whole natural world and the outdoor world. And uh, it was, I got hooked, you know, it's something that totally changed my life. And so um, very, very much a transformational experience in terms of discovering the outdoors. Um, and so naturally, like when you go in these amazing places, you want to take photos, right? So yeah. So you bring your little dinky dink camera. This is back in the early 90s, so obviously it's film. And I come back and I, probably the day of when I got back or maybe the next day I'd bring it into the place to get developed and bring it home and just want to look through my images, my photos and kind of relive the experience. And, and um, you know, some of the images really like I always say, like it just, they capture these really powerful personal experiences. And so from that point on, I kind of had this, I equated photography with these personally rewarding and, and challenging and powerful experiences. So like, it's a pretty deep emotional connection for myself and, and photographs. And that's just kind of how it was. Um, the yeah. growth of that experience of getting into the nature is that I wanted to move out of Maryland. And that was a pretty important thing and Colorado was ground zero because, you know, back in college, Colorado was like, was like the Mecca of mountains and climbing and outdoors and everything else, which is, yep. is one of the, the Meccas for sure. Um, but then I think my junior year, I got a job in the summer up in the Olympic National Park in Washington State. And that was kind of it. Like yeah. <laughs> seeing those trees in the forest and the coastline and the glaciers and Mount Rainier, which was this looming mythical place in my mind um i knew that maybe colorado wasn't going to be it was going to be uh, the northwest somewhere um so continued doing these trips and taking just photographs mostly just point and shoot 
Um, and then I moved out here and continued trying to do backpacks and climb and taking photographs. And I started shooting more slides. Even if it's a point in the show, I started shooting slides more often, mm. especially for trips where I wanted to really have higher quality images. Yeah. Um, which, of course, back then I didn't really understand enough that lens choice or lens and is actually a very big factor in terms of the overall image quality, but that's a different story. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I kept on having these experiences and, and climbing some on the big peaks and doing a lot of backpacking and wanting to seek out and go to these places like the Enchantments up in Washington um, and just these really special and very beautiful areas. And uh, anyway, so photography is close behind. At that point, like the whole idea of getting onto the woods and to the mountains was most important, but photography was definitely an aspect of that. And again, it just reinforced in my mind as I reviewed the images that like, hey, these are really, to me personally important experiences. Yeah. Um, so long story short, then in 2000, I decided to go to Nepal and do some trekking in the Himalayas. And I never traveled beyond like a border town, town in Mexico. <laughs> right. And so, um, you know, I went to Nepal by myself and, and I said, well, here's the deal. I'm gonna buy an SLR. I'm gonna load up on, on rolls of film and for whatever dumb reason, I brought film and not slides, which is, I'm not sure why to this day I did that. But anyway, I brought film and I was like, well, I wanna learn more about actually working the camera and maybe we'll learn more about having, how to take the next step in terms of composing and really creating a photograph. Yeah. And that's where, through the outdoor world, of course, Galen Rowell is the big, was the big guy back then, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Galen's amazing. I mean, his work was so groundbreaking breaking in many ways. Um, so I got a book and I believe it's Mountain Light. It's yep. a book where he has an image and then he basically yeah, yeah. goes through the whole process of and he look, Is that the one where he has, um, he looks like Gandalf on the top of that pointy little peak? With the, when he's backlit? Yeah. I think so, yeah. <laughs> it's the one where he like, he goes through, he has an image and he kind of goes through his whole process of creating the image. And mm -hmm. then, like that exposed him to the idea of having a wider angle lens, which I think he used maybe a 28 which is pretty wide. I think. And he used like mostly primes, I think. Yeah, he did a lot of primes, he had like a 28 prime. I'm not sure exactly what he used, but it's kind of inspired just by the whole like, oh, this is the way he thinks and this is kind of cool. And I can kind of use these, these little lessons and when I go to Nepal and kind of hopefully incorporate them. And the one I remember always in my mind was like this whole idea of expose for your most important highlight. Uh -huh. And to me, the highlight of course could mean what's the most important subject, if it's the mountain or whatever it may be but also like make sure your highlights are in check so you can throw things in the shadow and that's cool. But as long as your most, your highlights are in check, you're good to go. And so little tips like that. And I remember getting back from Nepal and I mean, obviously going to the Himalayas and for two and a half months, what did I do? I did the Annapurna circuit and then like three days layover and then did the three weeks in the Kumbu near Everest. Oh my gosh. But so, because it's that area of the world, like it's pretty easy to take a fantastic picture. But <laughs> That's gonna say, man. Yeah. But I think I was like, wow, actually, some of these things I wanted to do actually worked out well. And again, back in those days, I took those photos, and especially for my Annapurna pictures, like it probably took two months to see what came out, right? Oh, right. So well, and yeah, because like it's not like you can just look at the back of the LCD and you're like, oh, I need to get a better exposure the next time. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Um, so that trip was kind of the tipping point, right? Yeah. That's where I was like, okay, I got DSLR, I can shoot slides, I have a lens or two I can use. 
and I kind of want to learn more and, and at times took it more seriously. But, you know, that moved on for a few years in 2003, went traveling for a year and a half and did a lot of slides and things like that from um, Nepal, India, then South America. Yeah. And it's still a, like a, a huge, not a huge box, but a big box full of slides that are, I once in a while go through. But it's kind of, I don't really think much of it. It's something I was really interested in and I want to bring home good, good photography and good images. But it wasn't something I was like super chasing after. Um, and really the next leap. It was like secondary to the experience. You know, it was kind of like, I kind of realized that like to do it well, you kind of had to go out and do photography. Right. It wasn't just going out hiking with your friends and backpacking and being like, cool, so this looks really beautiful. And I'm going to take a photo of it. So I kind of realized that you need to kind of be on it. Like this is the spot I want to be. This is the time of day I want to be there. And for at that point, it wasn't motivating enough for me. So I would still say when I did these trips, it was more of like a, when I happened to be in this, the, a location which is fantastically pretty with nice lighting, it'd be great. But I wasn't seeking that out on its, as its own separate trip, if that makes sense to you. Yep, it does, yeah. totally. Yeah, and so it wasn't there. So I think what the next, this is a long story, but I'll try to be brief. No the worries. Next step was... <laughs> um, in 2006 or was it seven? Um, my wife and I went to Tibet, and I was like, "This is when the DSLRs are really starting to ramp up." And I ponied up and bought a Nikon D50, good old six six megapixel camera, Ooh. a couple lens, and I said, "Okay, here we go. We're in we're in digital photography." And um, went through <laughs> Tibet, and you know, went out to a mountain called Mount Kailash, which is still to this day one of the most amazing places I've ever been which is a holy mountain in western Tibet and we walked the core around it for three days and and we're there in the monsoon which is beautiful because Tibet was pretty green so brown and dry as most people see it uh-huh. um, but the weather was pretty almost like Portland it was pretty closed down a lot of, a lot of days and we got rare glimpses of Mount Kailash um, but anyway that was the entry to digital and when I got back you know, that was when Flickr was starting to go up and I kind of like was becoming really popular. So I joined there on a friend's recommendation and started seeing some images. I think of Zach Schneff. Yeah. There, and that kind of like blew my mind. I'm like, what is, wait, you can do this? Like that's an image that just kind of really raised the level of my understanding of what photography could be. Uh-huh. So I kind of, there's these benchmark images where I go, wow, okay, that's something that's, you can do this. Okay, awesome. And so I think from that point forward, I kind of got more motivated to kind of capture, you know, classical landscape images, not just images that I stumble upon as I go through my experiences. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just kind of built from there, basically. Yeah, it's funny. Um, <clears throat> I had a very similar experience, but I'd say I've kind of ebbed and flowed back and forth into those two modes of shooting. Mm -hmm. um, like... There are some days where I just want to go out and get that shot and I spend a lot of time trying to plan and prepare. But then there's other times where I just bring my camera and a few lenses and 90% of the shots I get are just, you know, to document the experience. Mm. And then maybe I'll spend 10% of the time like trying to get like one or two shots that are, you know, gallery worthy or whatever. So... Yeah, it's 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 really I don't know if you've had this experience, but it's hard to do both. <laughs> yeah, I can I can see that, um, especially for the group. 
you know like oh yeah um unless you're with another photographer yeah exactly so that the mentality of the trip definitely plays a role you know um if you're with a bunch of other photographers kind of like you can go off and do your own thing but at the same time you're with your friends and you want to experience where you're at with your friends and everything else and yeah i can see how it's hard to do both for sure yeah it's funny like on the rafting trip i got back from it's like i was the only person there who cared about photography and they're like you're on dishes duty and you're on cooking duty and you're on toilet duty and i'm like but the sunset is so awesome (laughs) fortunately they were pretty cool about it but it was like there's no fucking way i'm gonna do dishes right now (laughs) you're crazy (laughs) i'm going to take photos of that sunset and i'll come back and do dishes later (laughs) exactly isn't that great like i love being in you know it's just a national park like rainier or or even glacier and you're hiking up what an hour and a half two hours before sunset and everyone else is hiking down and you're like you want to in one way stop them and say you guys are leaving to go back to your campsites at the best part of the day to be out here and experiencing this but right like can i get the hell out of here get away from us and you know leave me alone but like it's just so weird how those edges of the day, which um, are so much more enjoyable to experience these places compared to like midday, blaring sun, full summer, you know, yeah. or back at their tents or back in their campgrounds. And, you know, it's it's like they don't even know, like people got it backwards. Yeah, I don't know if that's a the day, I don't know if that's a photographer thing or what, because I have lots of non-photography friends where, you know, we go backpacking or whatever. And yeah. I'm like, well, it's it's getting close to golden hour. I'm going to head out. And they're like, I'm going to hang out in my sleeping bag. I'm like, you're crazy. Do you see what's out there? Yeah, no. <laughs> no it's, pretty, it's cool, though. I mean, it's it's good. In some ways, it's very good it's like that. <laughs> so you're going to go to uh, Peru this summer? Is that right? Yeah, Peru. God, and you kind of like invited me. And I was like, oh, my God. I don't, I. You would love it. I uh, if I could make that work, I would, but I, there's just there's just no way, man. It's committing because of it's probably about a three week trip, so it's pretty committing in terms of time, and not everyone has the time off. And yeah, well, and yeah, and I'm pretty new at my job, so it's like you know I don't I don't have a shit ton of time off accumulated. Yeah. So that would be nice to do that someday, though. So what do you, where where are you going down there? So it's back to well, not back, but. We were in Peru in 2004 and we did a couple of the treks and I did, we tried two climbs in the Cordillera Blanca. The trek was fantastic, fantastic, but the climbs we got shut down on. Um, but being in the Cordillera Blanca, which for people who don't know, the Cordillera Blanca are mountains that range up to nearly or just over 22,000 feet. They're very <laughs> yeah. tall mountains. Not all of them, but the highest one, Huascaran, is about 22,200 or so, maybe 400 huge mountain basically and um they appear very close to what you expect from the himalayas they're uh-huh. in the poor man's himalayas because they're so entirely steep and precipitous and smothered in glaciers um but they're not as expensive to get to in, in some ways as the himalayas um so near Huaraz, which is the town people base out to go trekking or climbing, there's the Cordillera Blanca, which is the more popular, but to the south of it is the Cordillera Whitewash. And the Whitewash is more of a denser, more concentrated, smaller range, but it also has like several peaks over 20,000 feet or 21,000 feet. 
and these peaks are beautiful like incredibly beautiful and there's a circuit that treks around the range the Cordillera way wash um and i've always wanted to do that circuit and of course we were there in 2004 like yeah we'll come back back down a couple of years and do the circuit and you know obviously it's been 13 years later and it hasn't happened <clears throat> so that's what i want to do and you know a couple of photographers have gone down there but it's still a fairly untapped area i'm sure a ton of Jack Brower went down there. He's a great gallery from there. Uh, I love Jack Brower's work. That dude's so great. I love his website. I could get lost in. But um, I think Josh Cripps went down there. Um, and that's really kind of about it in terms of people that I know who've gone down there. I'm sure it's more, of course, but those are the people I'm familiar with. So yeah, Jack. Peel, that's kind of like untapped. And other people is just kind of like that personal spot on the earth that I wanted to get back to and, and experience on a personal level. Um, so I think the trek is like 10 to, 10 to 12 or 13 days, depending on how long you want to make it. And it's like just up, down, up, down. And I think it's usually between like 12,000 and 15,000 feet. So you're pretty high up. Yeah. Um, so it's a pretty, pretty stiff trek. Um, so isn't, isn't that like winter though down there? Or? It's not. I mean, I guess technically since we'll be in Peru, it'll be the winter, but it's, it's kind of more of a wet, dry season down there. I so see. Dry season. So, okay. Which so is, is this like northern Peru then? This is central northern Peru. Okay, yeah. Yeah. It's basically from Lima, you go up the coast a few hours and head into the, the mountains. Okay. And so it's dry there. So it'll be the dry season. So, um, which will be good because there'll be more off, often views. I think clouds will come in and out because it's such a huge mountain range. It's going to create some weather. Oh, sure. Extent, right. Um, but it'll be pretty brown. And I believe Josh said he's going to go back this April, maybe now. I know he's in South America somewhere, specifically because there'll be flowers and specifically because all that brownness will then be green. Hmm. And I experienced green in the green Andes, the highlands of Andes in Bolivia, and it is, it is otherworldly. It's so beautiful. It's, it's like this Shangri-La. Oh, man, so I'm jealous. Hopefully he's going back and he'll probably kill it and I'll look at this and be all... Self <laughs> type of deal. Um, oh, it's so funny. I just last night learned of an alpine route, kind of like an alpine circumnavigation of the range. Oh yeah. And now my mind is just kind of going crazy, like holy cow. So are you? Like, you going like, down there with your wife or? So yeah, we're gonna go down. Um, so every summer we've traveled the last couple of years. We went to Ecuador two years ago for three or four weeks, and we went to uh, Colombia for three or four weeks last summer. Um, my son's in Spanish immersion program, so he's actually, as a second grader, doing really amazingly well in Spanish. It's incredible. To speak, That's so speak cool. And read his writing and everything else. And my wife actually is a bilingual speech pathologist. And so for them, it's a way to kind of practice. And for my wife's in some ways, professional development, just get her language skills to improve and to become more solidified. And for me, it's like, you want me to drag me down to, to Ecuador and Peru and Colombia? Of course. Like, let's go. Let's <laughs> That's a no-brainer, man. Yeah. Um, and so Peru this year, but the trek is too stiff for my son, of course. He's he's eight, so it's just way too hard, and he would have a miserable time anyway. Sure. He does like the backpack, but that's just, I mean, it's hours a day up and down the hills at altitude, and, you know, anyway. So I got a hall pass, which is really i'm really thankful for and super kind and <laughs> understanding 
So I'm going to go into the hills for 11 days or so, and they're going to be... A hall pass, that means your wife's going to watch your son while you go out and play with your camera? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Guilty already, wow. Uh, um, but they have a really good gig, so they're going to volunteer near Huaraz. And my wife can do some speech pathology at a school. My son will be hanging out with some kids his age who go to the school, and... I think it's actually a pretty nice setup for them as well. I think, oh, totally. I think my wife's looking forward to that just as much as I'm looking forward to getting lost and stinky in the mountains for 11 days. God, dude, if I could swing it, I totally would, man. It just sounds so like so amazing. So I did rope in my friend Craig, and Craig's a great guy because this dude is a beast. He, like, <laughs> he twice, he just did a couple of years ago. He biked around Australia. He threw in biking around both islands of New Zealand plus Tasmania for good measure. The guy's just like nice. One of those guys who can just put on a pack and just very nonchalantly just go. So yeah, I think I need to start training, training a bit <laughs> Yeah, you're gonna be like, okay, dude, you need to slow down. But the last thing I'll say about this is like, I am kind of like really right now researching, and I do my aim truly is to want to have that experience. But I do want to come home with some images I really feel good about for my own personal self. So um, I hope it goes well. Maybe That's a tough balance. Tough balance. Tough balance, especially when you're altitude and you're working hard every day. It's hard to drag yourself back out of camp and hike up a ridge for a couple thousand feet for a comp if you, you see, you know. So yeah, this um, last summer I did a <clears throat> did a backpacking trip um, over by Telluride um, to climb a. It's in the my one of my goals is to climb the highest hundred mountains in Colorado. And what number are you at now? I have eleven to go. Wow, that's incredible. But uh, yeah, man. But uh, this one was uh, it's like in this it's in this pretty remote little basin near Telluride, and then it's next to a couple of fourteeners that I've already done. But my one of my really good friends uh, <clears throat> went with me because he needed to get. Uh, one of the 14ers. So we did, we backpacked in, got up the next day, and climbed the 13er, which was like super technical and almost died. <laughs> and then <laughs> I ran out of water, which I never do, but I ran out of water for some reason, and we just decided to go over to the 14er and get it. And then on the way back down, like, we had to go through all these willows, and wow. long story short, like, I was so fucking tired when we got back to our campsite, and it was like, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon and then I was like I need to just pass out but I couldn't because I knew sunset was coming and uh I ended up like shooting sunset and then <clears throat> I think I stayed up until like midnight or 1 a.m shooting the Milky Way mm -hmm. <laughs> like, uh -huh. oh man it was like I was so tired I think I took a nap next to my tripod with my camera ready to go and like set my alarm for like 10 30 p.m but it's it's hard to do both you know it's but you you kind of have to just suck it up if you want to get those shots yeah i mean there's a little bit of suffering that goes into it <clears throat> there is you have a story based upon that experience right like now you're telling us all about that story and that's kind of sometimes when you push yourself and you're exhausted and those are the memories you know like when you extend yourself outside of what you normally do those are what you remember for a long time. Yeah, for sure. You know who Conrad Anchor is? No. Conrad. He's a climber. Oh. Conrad? Super nope. famous climber. Oh, Conrad? Yeah. No, I've no. From Meru, the mountain the movie Meru with Jimmy Chin. <laughs> Dude, uh, 
So, yeah, I don't follow, like, the technical climbers much. Okay. He's a pretty rad dude. I saw him speak years ago, and he has this hilarious way of putting climbing to people who don't understand climbing. He's like, we're, and I think this relates to photography because what you just said, and that's kind of like, we're up at god-awful hours of the day, and sometimes really horrible conditions, and we're, if you're going on a road trip, you're not sleeping very well at all, you're eating garbage food, and everything else. He basically says, you know, as climbers, we go out there, and we, we, eating garbage food we're like we're at altitude we're coughing up whatever and we got headaches and you know we're crammed into our tent and we stink and we go out and we climb the next day and we're bashing <laughs> our knuckles against the ice and and we're bleeding and then there's an avalanche roaring down the side of us and we're freezing our balls off and he's like you get home from those trips and you're like god damn that was fun yeah <laughs> man that's living you're like you suffer but then you come back and like that's a pretty fun experience you know I remember uh, when I was, I guess I was probably back in like 2010, 20, 2009, 2010, I was pushing really hard to finish the 14ers. And uh, like I was out climbing every weekend. Like I think I did 25, 30 peaks in one summer. Wow. Holy God. And like <clears throat> your legs just, well, they get really strong, but like there's, there's a grind to it, you know, cause it's kind of ritualistic and, and like I remember a few times where it was like, I'm not I'm not doing this ever again. And then like <laughs> next weekend, you are right back at it. <laughs> it is the weirdest thing. Like it's this weird. It's almost like drugs. Like I'm never gonna get drunk again. And then you do it the next day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. So hey, uh, I know I think we've talked about this a little before, but I thought it'd be good to talk about it on the podcast. Uh, <clears throat> how. How did it go for you to get on the cover of uh, Outdoor Photographer? You know, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. So I just, I was at home and I was on my couch. <laughs> my wife and I got a ding on my phone that an email came through. And I looked at the email. I was like, hey, I'm the editor of Outdoor Photographer. We'd like to kind of feature you in an upcoming issue as an interview and, and for the landscape issue. And I was like, really? And I kind of checked the email address to make sure it was kind of the correct. <laughs> You're like, this is not real. Come on, is this just spam? So anyway, those guys are really, really cool to work with. Um, so one, it was an honor because like going back way back towards even college, like I used to pick up Alter for photographer and, and Galen Rao would be writing his articles and his column. And, you know, so I'd known about this magazine. So for them to kind of approach me and say, hey, we want to feature you was, you know, really, really an honor. Like, yeah, in some ways, cause I'm kind of like, why me? I knew probably 15 photographers are probably more worthy, but cool. I'm glad you guys decided to contact me. So we kind of did a couple rounds of whatever, going back and forth. And within like five days, I got a phone call from the writer who isn't a landscape photographer per se. And so it's kind of good to talk to someone, I think, who wasn't from the genre, the field. Yeah. Um, he's a really good photographer, but just not in a landscape sense, more of a travel and, pers- and a portrait or travel photographer, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, so it went pretty well, you know, we did some follow up back and forth to kind of clarify points. When I get excited, I can talk fast. <laughs> so <laughs> one of my words too, something like this is I express myself in a, in a way which I don't truly believe, but for that end of things, it went fine. I'm not worried about that for the article at all. Yeah. Um, but anyways, humbling is a great experience. It was pretty cool. Um, but I did do a follow up email to the editor and I said, how did you actually two How'd you get a, how would you made aware of my work? And he yeah, said, that's uh, what I was curious about. One of his colleagues had been aware of me for a couple of years 
and pitched my name several months before, but they were waiting for the landscape issue to come out to then contact me for it. Huh. Which is pretty, pretty awesome. I that is really cool. So I didn't, I want to be like, so who is the person you know that pitched your name? I mean, I'm not sure. I'd done an interview for Landscape Photography Magazine, which is the online magazine. Yep, yep. A year before or so, so I'm not sure if that was a connection. I have no idea, really. Or maybe someone in that magazine just was aware of me and, and uh, I guess at some point appreciated my work and wanted to in any way, contact me. So it was cool. That is cool, man. Did, did you... Uh, did you find that after that happened that a lot more people started uh, following you or? Not in terms of following. I got a, for a couple of weeks, there's a flurry of emails and, and messages and everything else. Uh-huh. Um, and so, you know, there's definitely a lot more work. I want to respond to everyone and, and be in like get back to them. And there's a lot of work for a while, but that kind of died down. Visitation on my website spiked. Yep. And that kind of like predictably died down as the magazine went through. Um you know, as the month went along, that was out. So, you know, a couple of things came with it. Nothing crazy. I wasn't expecting anything crazy in terms of sure. income. And, and really, income is not a the reason I do this. Like, it's it's nice when I make income. I do make a small, modest amount of income every year. But that's never in the back of my mind of why I, I do this. Just more yeah. to do my art, you know? So Yeah, um, that's the uh, same for me. I, <clears throat> I've, I've found that if, 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 income is your motivation that it 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 changes um it changes how you shoot yeah at least for me yeah i can see that and actually it's something i'm protective of yeah (laughs) that's one reason i don't want to kind of like one i'm too busy with my my family and my day job which i i love my day job i'm never gonna leave it so i'm never gonna become that professional photographer because of a million reasons but um I don't have the time to really try to put myself out there and market myself and brand myself and run all these different workshops and and it's just be too time consuming. Yeah, um, it's funny. I'm a <clears throat> I'm a the one of the local high schools. Uh, it's like a charter school. They reached out to me a couple weeks back um, because they wanted uh, they had a student that wanted to do like an internship for photography mm-hmm. and. Um, and they, but they knew that I had like a day job, <laughs> like I had a normal nine to five, eight to five job. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, so I agreed to do it, um, with the caveat that like, I'm not going to be able to like, you know, hang out with this kid a whole, whole bunch, but I'll be able to, you know, coach him and teach him some stuff for sure. But one of the things I, I've told him already is like photography is like, it's so little, when, like mastering the 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 art side of it and the camera side of it is such a small part of being a successful uh, professional photographer. Like so much of it is marketing mm-hmm. and um, putting yourself out there and just it's a grind. And I, I grind. I'm with you, man. I, I just I just don't see how I could ever do it unless unless I just didn't need the money. Like if if I had like a trust fund or my <laughs> wife worked and made a shit ton of money, like. I could do it then where I wasn't depending on it for my livelihood, but man. That'd be a labor of love, the education. Like I could definitely get into the education aspect of photography. For sure, for sure. Um, If I had, you know, a ton of time, that'd be probably the most enjoyable thing to do just because that's what I do in my day job. I'm I'm an educator. Right. And um, it would probably come pretty naturally to you. I would hope, you know, I think it would. Um, You know, I think like, I mean, I've done some of it, of course, but like, you know, 
In terms of a group, I'm not sure if I'd ever want to do like a big group. I think the private workshops or maybe two people, three people max would be yeah. the size I'd want to do. I wouldn't want to do a big group. Um, but to your point, like, yeah, it's a grind. And, and you got to be either a phenomenally talented photo photographer where you post your work or get your work out in some way and people just are gravitating towards it and they contact you and and you, you can generate business and buzz that way or you're a fantastic businessman who also happens to be a pretty um, pretty cracking photographer as well but maybe not the upper echelon of photography um, and so and I'm I don't think I have the business acumen like just know my own personality like yeah I don't get off on it I don't really I don't enjoy it I, I don't like inauthenticity inauthenticity I totally man like you promoting right? yourself just for the yeah, sake of promoting it, yourself I hate it it, it embarrasses me like me too that's me though not, not, everyone else has their own personality so it's just me like I just am not a business person let's put it that way so I enjoy <laughs> making income I enjoy instructing I enjoy when I sell prints but in terms of being that business personality on the internet forget it like I can't do it I don't want to do it yeah and 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 there's a i don't know like i've noticed for the people that are doing it um there's a certain amount i don't know if it's the i don't know if inauthenticity is the right word for it but there's a certain amount of like just ah, it just feels icky (laughs) you know like you need to be interested in what i'm doing because i'm you're gonna give me a bunch of money so that i can pay my rent Mm -hmm. like it just feels weird to me i don't know it's and the cool thing is, like, I think a lot of the people that I know who are full-time are phenomenal photographers and they're successful as their full-time business people and they don't have to be these day-in, day-out business personalities. Of course, they have to work hard at their business, but their photography coupled with their either their articles or blogs they write in terms of instruction speak for themselves. Yeah. They need to be posting all the time about different things or the new write up on the new camera whatever it might be and and uh you know it's 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 really organic and natural for them and i think you know people you know as well um and that's i really admire that you know people like aaron or alex noriega like this you know phenomenal photographers who are also you know i can assume are fairly successful as as um, full-time photographers so well as probably as successful as you can be i would think yeah I would hope anyway. I mean, if I mean, my opinion, they're, you know, some of the best photographers in the world. So they deserve to have success. (laughs) Um, So what what do you think some of the advantages of not being a full time professional photographer are? Yeah, I mean, in some ways, we just kind of hit on a little bit. There's no pressure to produce, right? Yeah. I don't shoot for a month. (laughs) Doesn't mean a thing, right? You can. I can dig through the archives and try to find an image that I worked on and process that, but there's no pressure financially, right? Right. So, like I said, I, I'm a little bit distrusting of business in general. Like, I think there's a corrupting influence to business. And so, I'm weirdly protective of my photography, my art. Hmm. <laughs> protective, protective in the sense I don't want things creeping in that maybe are just directing me one way or the other. I want to be pretty much open to doing what I want to do photographically yeah. um, within the constraints of time and family, right? Sure. Um, and so I, 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 if I was trying to make as much money as I can with photography or make it full time, I wonder what 
influences would kind of like drive my photography because like I said um, if you're not one of those photographers whose images are just so um, stunning and and dialed in it I think it's it's a hard it's a hard business it's a really hard business so I think just protecting what I want like my my art basically um, well that's an advantage I think some people would argue that you're one of those photographers <laughs> well that's super nice to hear um, but I think you're always your own worst critic right so oh absolutely uh, like I, I try to produce like I try to really think about what I do and I try to even on the processing side of things, I try to really think about it and not just process and let it loose. Yeah. Um, and I think... Although imagine I, uh, if you were doing it for your income, like how much more stress there would be on that. Yes. Like exactly. every image ha would have to be like so dialed in that you would probably spend 20,000 hours just on one photo and it's, it's shortcuts like I can take an image that is not maybe the best lighting best conditions or even the best comp and I know enough about processing where I can I can spruce it up and feed it to the online world and I'll sure. probably get more more comments and feedback than any of the images I've been releasing lately and pretty much I know I can do that right so uh -huh. that goes into the whole idea of what do you want to do for your photography right where do you want to take it and even goes into the whole idea of like what being in this photography world for a longer period of time and as you grow as an artist and a photographer where do you want to push not that i would actually be a person who's going to push it some direction but where do you want the field of photography to go hmm. i don't want to go in certain directions for me i like to see this photography go this direction so i want to present a product where i feel comfortable um going there if that makes sense and hopefully i'm articulating that correctly and no i and i, I, don't want to I like appreciate that because it's uh right? No, I think I get what you're saying. I mean, because, you know, have, I know you pretty well now. So, I mean, I think I know uh, you're you're pretty, for the most part, I'd say you're pretty anti-composite unless it's like don't move your tripod kind of a deal. Yeah. Um, and so I think what you're trying to say is that um, that what you appreciate about the art of photography um, what you like is like very natural, but like thoughtful, thoughtfully composed images that someone had to really like earn, I guess you could say, and put a lot of work into getting Yeah. instead of just throwing it in Photoshop and masking in a better sky or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm not anti-composite. Um, but for your own work, you are. For my own work, I am. And yeah. And I definitely place some parameters around my own work. I'm right. not going to switch a sky out. With night, there's some caveats, right? I think we can talk about that later on. But I'm not going to take a banger sunset taken last year in Arizona and swap it out over Mount Rainier. That's just never going to happen. That's so cheap for me. Uh -huh. For me. I, let me clarify that. <laughs> that so cheap. And if I got 100 million comments or likes, or if I, made, if I sold 100 prints of that, I would feel awful. I would truly feel so awful about that. Um, and again, I want to go back to how I got into this whole deal's experience. Right? Uh -huh. The photograph is a remnant of an experience, or it's a, it's a reminder of an experience. And so if I didn't experience that bang or sunset over Mount Rainier, it doesn't mean much to me as a photograph. 
Yeah. Right? And I would argue that that's not going to be a photograph, but that's a whole different bag of worms that I'm not going to get into. Um, so I appreciate composites, especially when people say, hey, this is, this is a blend of two images taken, you know, at different locations or different whatever. Now, there's gray areas, of course, and I think I do want to be open that I do shoot. Like I just have, I posted a new image on my website of white pocket in a starry sky in a very faint Milky Way. And that image is with a composite or blend of two images taken probably five hours apart or four hours apart. One in very deep dusk and one in, in the stark of night where you can see all the stars. Yep. But they're taken from the same exact location. Sure. So to me, is that composite? I think, yeah, but is it something that could be experienced? Yeah. Right. Knowing that cameras can soak in a lot more light than the human eye, right? But that scene, someone could go out to that spot and they would experience that. So that's, that's kind of like... I hate being a general journalizer, so I'm not gonna say all composites are awful, but like, or for me, from my perspective, um, but I do kind of toy or kind of bleed into that gray area sometimes as well. Uh huh. That makes sense. So. Yeah, I know you mentioned you had listened to the interview I did with Aaron Babnik because um, yeah. we talked a bit about this, and I really what she said about this topic resonated with me quite a bit because it's, um, you know, I think you talk to a hundred photographers, you're probably going to get a hundred different opinions about, Absolutely. about it. And they're all going to feel very strongly, which is great. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with feeling strongly about it. But I think at the end of the day, what, what I think is most important is, um, honesty and also, um, do, do what works for you as a photographer, you know, like yeah, totally. as an artist, you know, it's art. Photography, as Aaron said, you know, it's it's never been very good at showing people reality. <laughs> um, now, if that's your goal, to reality though, that's the thing. It's yeah, so if it's your goal to show for uh, reality, then then do it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but it's people. I mean, that's the thing. Photography is such a very popular thing to do. It's a very um, you can enter the world of photography pretty easily. You can pick up, you know the basics of operating a camera and probably the basics of Lightroom or Photoshop and, and in a very short amount of time you can producing some pretty solid images, right? And so it's pretty exciting for people. It's not a it's not the most extremely hard thing to do. I can't imagine picking up paint brushes and, and a you know and a canvas and trying to paint something worth anything. I think that sounds so entirely difficult to me. But photography, the learning curve is so quick and so easy for the initial stages that um, there's just a whole lot of people, the vast majority are in it just to have fun. And that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And most people aren't trying to get on the cover of National Geographic or something like that. You know, they're just out having fun and trying to produce stuff that they're proud of. Yeah, totally. And I don't want to, I mean, again, like I try to always say it's from my perspective because, and I truly like, it's about me and where I want to go with what I'm doing. And yeah, so I have these like defined parameters and I'm always kind of like that line's always moving a little bit. Right. Sure. Like, um, and so, but when I ever explain that, then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, I feel bad. Cause I don't want to make other people feel like that's, I'm against what they're doing. Or like you're an elitist or something. No, I, exactly. And I'm trying, I'm, I do not consider myself to be an elitist, but, um, but again, I, for me, it goes back to having that experience of being out there and photography representing that experience. 
Yeah. No, I think that's awesome, man. I've chosen not to do composites of different places, different skies, different elements, um, because it's not what I experienced. Um, and I, I would argue that photography owes that, as photography and not digital art, it owes that element of reality to it and experience. Yeah, anyway, I think, a, man, big... we could do like a whole hour conversation on the difference between digital art and photography, right? But I totally, yeah, and I totally respect your opinion and Russ's opinion too. So it's not like whatever be an argument that like couldn't be resolved. It's just kind of like people have to do what they want to do, like you said. Um, but I do think about it for myself. And so it's just, I don't know. There's some very compelling arguments that people who are photographers have made to me that has made me think and made my line move a little bit. Like for the night stuff, like I wouldn't even move the tripod before. Well, in this image I just posted, like I went back to the camp and came back out and oh, right. the next frame and the tripod wasn't exactly in the same spot. Maybe the angle was a little bit different, but I had to kind of like get the sky to fit perfectly. But that was the same direction, same location, but just not the same tripod holes, basically. <laughs> um, sure. Anyway, anyway. No, I think, you know, I, I'm laughing because it's, it's just, it's so funny because when I've, well, first of all, it's dark out. So unless like it's probably not likely you're going to find the exact same spot (laughs) but uh you know it's um yeah i don't know it's funny like when i do composites it's usually to just challenge myself to produce something that i think looks appealing Mm -hmm. um that i that i personally like to look at um and it has nothing to do with like um trying to present something that's real or realistic or even um really even to make money it's just to like oh i think that'll look that would be a cool end product yeah and you probably <laughs> had like a like a conceived concept for it beforehand right? yeah exactly like, and it's, so it's like how 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 can i try to execute that um that idea through various techniques um and so i think I mean, for me personally, that's that's why I do composites. But, um, you know, and that's not to say that I'm right or wrong. It's just what I want to do. And I completely respect what you do. And if, if anything, like, I don't think I could ever have the the, the mental patience to do what you do. Because <laughs> I would be so frustrated every time I tried. I'd be like, oh, the clouds got oh, in yeah. the way. Or, like, you know, like, I'm I'm very... I don't know if you experienced this ever, but if I put a lot of forethought or planning into a scene or something and then it doesn't work out, I get so angry with Mother Earth. I'm like, damn you! <laughs> Why have you stolen my clouds? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, there's definitely moments where like you think everything is aligning and it's just going to be a magical moment and then just some cloud below the horizon just or wherever it might be just kind of like blocks it all up or yeah or who knows you know someone walks through your scene that happens too dude i was at this uh high mountain lake last summer it's like twelve thousand feet and i just climbed a 13 or that day and i was back at camp um resting up eating dinner and like the clouds were just looking freaking awesome and i had this vision all day of like going back up about a thousand feet above the lake where I could see the, all of the jagged peaks uh, in the distance to the east of me with, like, the sunset, with killing the clouds, you know, and then, like, the 
there was a pretty big moon rise too, so I wanted to get the moon in there. Yeah. And so I had this whole vision all day of what this photo was gonna look like, and then like I was monitoring the clouds, watching the clouds, and like, oh, it's looking good, it's looking good. So I made the commitment, okay, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna climb up 1,000 feet and sh get this shot. So, you know, I put all my gear back on, climbed up 1,000 feet, and like literally, as soon as I got up there, all the clouds just dis disappeared, like out of nowhere, yeah. just disappeared, poof. Oh, man. <laughs> I was like, are you serious, man? <laughs> I, that That's happened to me like a handful of times up in Glacier at Logan Pass where like it just looks all good and all of a sudden red sunset so they just kind of dissipate. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's just a natural feature of the mountains right there that that's pretty common but yeah frustrating so I feel your pain that's that's always frustrating. And I didn't do a composite of that scene which is funny but uh, it's I think composite sometimes is born out of like I have this vision that I did everything in my power to get and I couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, and I've heard the argument that like, hey, I, I'm going, spending thousands of dollars going to this one location. I backpacked for five days. I will never, ever in my life get back here. Like thinking of traveling to like South America or Asia. Yeah, or, right. Or, who knows, Alaska. And like, so I'm going to import not a blazing sky, but maybe like a nice, soft, cloudy sky. And and, and in some way, I, I, I see that. I can see that. That you know, you're never gonna be able to go back and try again, over and over and over again. You're basically given that experience, and you're given those conditions. And so, you know, again, there's compelling arguments that make sense. You know, and and like I said, like I I do appreciate composites for sure. Um, some of them, I'm like, wow, I I don't know how that you guys even did that. You know. Yeah, there's a there's a guy. I don't know if you follow him on Instagram. He doesn't. He's pretty pretty popular on Instagram. His name's uh, Daniel Green. Uh, Daniel James Greenwood, I think is his name. I think I heard of him, yeah. And like almost all his stuff is composites, but it's, it's like, it's pretty obvious because it's like, it's like sunsets with the Milky Way combined. Like it's kind of like, it's, it's out there a little bit, but it, it's really well done. Yeah. I think he, doesn't he usually say this is a composite? Oh, for sure. I'm pretty sure, yeah. yeah. And so I think, I think I know who you're talking about. I can go back and look. And I think that's really appreciate because not everyone's going to understand that a sun on the horizon is not going to produce a milk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if you, if you don't understand that, like you should probably get outside more often. Yeah. So no, I, I need to, I need to go back and look at that guy's stuff again. Yeah, it's it's pretty solid stuff, but I mean, it's all it's a lot of it's composite stuff for sure. Um. Yeah. So, uh, what uh what other stuff do you have coming up? Um, do you? I mean, you're not teaching workshops. You're not really doing anything commercially. So, is there anything that yeah. you wanted to promote or anything? Yeah, I never really promote. I mean, I do private workshops when people reach out and contact me. I never list like dates. So, um, and again, since I work a, a full-time job, it's usually confined to weekends. Yep, yep, Plus yep. Summertime, where summertime I have more availability because besides going to Peru, I should be around Portland. Um, so not really don't list workshops, but people do contact and they inquire about workshops locally or, um, or whatnot. So, I mean, that's, that's fine to throw out there. Okay, um, cool. Coming up, like, again, uh, you know, spring is a pretty nice time to be 
a Northwest photographer, at least out of Portland here. Oh, man. Dell's Mountain Ranch, like where you took me, that was so cool. Yeah, it, it should get, be getting good. And, you know, I can admit, like, I've shot the gorge and the Eastern Gorge where the flowers are for years and years and years. And, you know, every year I get excited about it. Like, you know, it's not like going to the Southwest or to Patagonia or something amazing, but, like, it's still really fun to shoot. You know, it's oh, yeah. Cool. You can drive out for the evening, shoot, and come back and and what I've been you know really the last couple of years what I've really loved doing is you know my friend Brian Kibbins is he knows the gorge and southwest Washington better than almost anyone this guy is such a database of you know creeks and valleys and falls and Brian Swan as well who's been coming down he's a fantastic guy oh yeah he owns I mean he knows more than Kibbins this guy's these guys, when they get together, you hear them talk about locations. And it's <laughs> stunning. They like name roads and take the left there. There's the bridge, and and so we'll be we'll be driving through Gifford Pinchot, which is a, a national forest in south southwest Washington, between Mount Adams and Mount St. Helens. And he'll literally we'll be driving some way down some Forest Service road, and I'll stop by a little teeny creek. And he's like, so. Along this creek are three falls. The first one's an umbrella fall. It's 45 feet tall. Above that is what's called little nickel, little nickel dime falls, and that one's 100 feet tall. Like the guy just knows so much about these creeks and falls. It's just he's so excited about. It. It's pretty amazing. Um, he's a cool dude. But the reason I brought it up is because the last couple of springs we've been trying to, or he's been taking me on these adventures towards more less or lesser known locations, and uh, yeah, and that's been pretty fun to do because definitely some areas where like not many people get in there like not many people at all where you can probably it's it's under a hundred ever you know and it's pretty special to be back there um shooting and exploring and there's there are falls out there in the Gipper Pinchot which are in my opinion more beautiful than anything in the gorge the central gorge Columbia River Gorge I should say yeah I mean um I've only shot up there uh once um I think it I was, uh, I'm trying to remember, Panther, yeah, Panther Creek. Yeah. I shot that once, and it was like, I was with my son, and he was, I think he was like six or seven, so I couldn't take him all the way down to the bottom. And uh, that's the only time I've shot there, but it, it's, I mean, it's crazy. If you go, if you even just Google, like, waterfalls, like, there's thousands. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy, and there's some amazing, so beautiful out there. So that's coming up, and then it comes summer in Peru, and then um, <clears throat> come back and see what's going on for the mountains in August. And then in fall, it's I'm signed on to go up to the Enchantments. Up in oh, Washington yeah. State for the fall. So Club. jealous, man. I've, I never got to do that either. Yeah, so this is weird. This is the third year in a row, and this is like the universe kind of talking to me, right? So this is the third year in a row where someone just unannounced just invited me and said, hey, I got a permit can you come along and for the first two years I'm like ah the dates don't really work out or no I can't do it and then this just a couple months ago Alex Noriega, Noriega contacted me and says hey I got a permit do you want to go and I was like I gotta go at this point he never Heck yeah time man off and just make it happen because um yeah this is I, I need <laughs> I can't pass these offers up you know this is something very generously offered my way and I need to kind of figure out a way to make it happen. So Yeah, the enchantments are pretty much the only place I've seen pictures of of the Pacific Northwest that remind me a lot of Southwest Colorado. Yeah. It's the granite there and Yep. Beautiful. It's very high. It's it's a it's a grunt to get up into. I think it's at least four, maybe even 
over 4,000 feet of elevation gain just to get up in there. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it's it's a pretty special place. And if the larches are still going off, the larch trees, which turn golden color, they're which still is going crazy. Off. <laughs> it could be great. Heck yeah, man. So I'm pretty stoked about that. And then next summer, there's been some talk about doing something more remote up in Canada. I need to contact uh, that photographer who you and I talked about doing, and that could be pretty cool if that happens. That would be true wilderness way out there, helicopter and experience. Um, oh, wow. So range by a different area kind of up there. Man, that would be cool. I, I always wanted to go shoot, um, I, is it a Cinnaboyne? A Cinnaboyne, yeah. That's not running go. This is much further north. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to go to Cinnaboy. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd really like to go shoot that one fall. Like, I think late August is when it's when the colors change up there. Is that right? I'm not so sure. But or early September, maybe? I that, imagine it's so far north. Yeah, I've been wanting to shoot that for a couple of years now just because it, it just looks so insanely epic. And, um, man, you know, how... Uh, I've just seen so many, like Ted Gore has that shot of a Cinnaboyne like at sunrise. Mm -hmm. Oh God, it's like, when, as soon as I saw that, I was like, I need to go there. <laughs> it's cool when people take shots and you're like, I need to go there. <laughs> oh God, I know. No, exactly, yeah, it's inspiring. I want to go back to a Bird Lake, which is on the north side of Mount Robson. Oh yeah. Bird Lake, beautiful. But I think it's totally a permit system now. I went there in 2001, and uh, and it's beautiful. We had my wife and I hiked in, amazing experience, super beautiful. Had my camera, slides, tripod, <laughs> got a couple shots, which I thought I was so stoked about, and uh, ended up. This <laughs> weird story. We actually drove back home and stopped at Mount Baker and in the Washington Cascades. Yeah. And climbed it, and on the way down, it was so hot and I was so miserable and tired that I tried to get a hat out of my backpack. And somehow my camera slipped off my waist belt where I had it strapped in and just rolled into a crevasse. Oh no! I would say like six to eight rolls of film or slides from the whole Canadian Rockies two week trip we just went on. And one of them was from uh, Lake Berg Lake. Oh like no! In pain. <laughs> oh my god, dude. It was awful. Just watching that thing roll away from you and and almost stop at the lip of the crevasse and just kind of like roll into it. It was a big house swallower. There's no way I wasn't gonna get, try to go into that thing at all. Oh, dude, so, that must have been like so oh, depressing. It wasn't even the gear. The gear didn't matter to me at all. I mean, obviously it was the film, yeah. Much money back then, but it was more like the the film. I was like, oh, jeez. Oh my god. <laughs> so are you are you still shooting the D the D eight uh, D eight hundred? I think, yeah, there's still the D100E. I've yeah. never upgraded in five five years. I wish, you know, I'm waiting for the next generations to come out of what sort of Nikon throws out there and, and then what's going to come after the A7R2, whatever it's, that's going to be. I know the A9 came out, but I don't think it's really what I want for a, you know, landscape or... No. And, um, but it sounds like a phenomenal camera, and I, I kind of... Um, but I want to see, like, the, the switch over to mirrorless is going to happen yeah. for, me, for me in the Northwest and kind of concerned about moisture. Yeah, I, I had... I see a whole lot of reason to switch at this point. In fact, I'd be very nervous if I did. I feel like I'd be treating my camera like a little little, little doll instead of just 
like the 800 i can just jam around and get wet i think it's a beast oh i know i miss i miss my d800 for that reason right so and personally you know this with the lenses i would take which would be the nikon lenses over to sony it's not really saving me much weight at all it's like half a pound or something like that um so it's not a big deal to me really but yeah, I'm interested to see what comes out next. If it's fully weather sealed and people abuse it like they have other cameras, I'm going to jump on board. I probably won't do it right away. Yeah, it's really the only downfall to Sony right now, I think, is the durability and the weather issue. The battery yeah. issue never isn't a problem for me yeah. personally. but Let's carry extra batteries. It sounds like they kind of solved that issue with the A9, right? The battery lasts a lot longer, I think. Well, so and the... Next- the- the A7R2, you can actually shoot it while it's being powered with an external battery pack too. Huh? No way. Wow. Yeah, that's why. I, that's why I got it because it's I can just plug a huge battery pack in it, which doesn't really weigh that much, and yeah. like I can keep it charged indefinitely. Oh, that's awesome. That's a good idea. What about the? What do you think about the electronic viewfinder? That's another kind of like you know out there for me. So I had the A7. I don't think you remember this. I had the A7R for a couple of months. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just, and then I had, to, I just, I sold it and stuck with my Nikon for a while, uh-huh. and I didn't super like uh, the EVF, um, but I'm really liking it on the A7R2. It's okay. like, it's almost impossible to overexpose. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, like, it's it tells you like it has these things called zebras, and it just shows you every time it's overexposed, and you just adjust your shutter speed or whatever, and boom, you're dialed in. Oh. Yeah, it's it's like, pretty nice. Yeah, I, I'm sure people said they adjust, but I really love looking through my viewfinder and just seeing, you know, a pretty much a close representation to what I see with my eye. Like, but I'm sure I'll, I'll adjust. Yeah, I haven't. Some people like it better, so haven't I haven't. It hasn't bothered me. Okay, that's good to hear. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But for now, like I said, I don't really need much more than what I have. Sure. Um, the, the view, the um, live view, of course, on the 800E is, a, is awful, especially in low light where you're trying to focus. Right, the eight, the 810 was way better at that, I think. I know, I know. And I probably should have upgraded, but at this point, I'm kind of like, I'm hoping things move more fast, more quickly, and the next gen comes out for Nikon, but I haven't really heard much about it, so who knows. Yeah. But I made it work, and I, it's a great camera, and like I said, you know, it's treated me really well without any little thinking about taking care of it. <laughs> yeah, my my switch was purely motivated by weight. Yeah. Um, cuz I did a pretty right. hardcore I did a pretty hardcore backpacking trip last summer where I climbed a couple of tough 13ers and I shot I shot a, a meteor shower from 13,000 feet and wow. like uh man just carrying that heavy gear up was like Kill, almost killed me. <laughs> yeah. No, I think for backpacking, that is a really good consideration. In terms of front, front country shooting, it's kind of like, it's really not that much weight. Depending on your lens selection, right? Yeah, so that's for sure. A big one. Like, if you're going to put on the 14 to 24 with the Metabones adapter onto an A7R2, you're not really saving a whole lot. Um, but if you're going as with the lights lens, lens up as you can, you probably would be, and probably size too. Yeah, I. I picked up a Zeiss 21 F28. It's just wow. a manual focus only. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it weighs, it's very light and it's yeah. very tiny. 
And I picked up a 55-1-8. And then I picked up a 70-300. to 300. Yeah. And that's all I shoot with now. That's all you got. <laughs> are those, yeah. Are those all Zeiss or? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, the 7300 is just a Sony. I don't think that's Zeiss. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> but, yeah. So I have two more questions for you, sir. Yep. And the first question, as you know, the name of the podcast is F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen. So I ask all my guests, um, what does that mean to you and how would you translate that as advice for other for landscape photographers? <laughs> what does F-Stop Collaborating Lesson mean to me and how would I translate to that for other photographers? Yeah. Great question. Let's see. Um, that's a great question. How would I use that? Collaborate. So it... I would say if you are entering the field of photography, the wonderful world of photography, probably finding other people to say interest is a really good way to to gain skill and also have fun. That's something it took me a while to do is to find kind of like a cohort of other photographers locally to kind of like bounce ideas off of and talk of different techniques and gears because that's where the exchange of information happens. Yep. And that collaborative process really pushes you forward. Like I was kind of a lone wolf for about three or four years not really seeing many photographers like in the late 2000 aughts. Um, so that's important. And if you can find a mentor, like someone who's like really like out there and willing to take you under their wings, like that is going to be way better as well. Yeah. So that's probably the biggest piece of advice I can get in terms of collaboration. And nice. listening, stopping and listening, like, like, you know, not to get too deeper into it but you know really finding a way when you're in the field or in nature or the mountains or wherever it is to really find a way to connect to where you are and I don't really like talking about publicly but that's a super super important aspect of what I try to do yeah and the deeper that connection can be and the more I don't know whatever I'm not gonna go into but the deeper that is the better no I, I know exactly what you're talking about because it's um when I'm out, like, you know, backpacking in Colorado, like, at high elevation, like, that's the experience that I'm having. Like, I'm so connected to those places that when I'm up there shooting, like, I mean, it, the, the right word, I think, is spiritual. I mean, it, for me, it's mm -hmm. a spiritual experience, and I'm not religious, but definitely I gain some sense of spirituality through those experiences. So I, know, I, I think that's what you're kind of referring to. No, I think I think you described it well. I mean, um when people hear the word spiritual, they kind of think of some, you know, thing. But <laughs> not, I, mean, I would use the same word, though. I'm not, I think it's a good word choice. I think, you know, that's something that can occur if you are in these beautiful areas and, and are beautiful lighting and beautiful timing. And you've, you've spent a lot of effort to get out there. And you're also so engrossed with what you're doing that you just, it's, it's almost like a form of meditation and, and for me, I don't think with words, it's just kind of like you're just moving through your environment and like even numbers of f-stop and focal lengths, it just disappears. It just becomes this total just engagement with what I'm doing. Yep. And I never recognize that until afterwards, but I always know that that kind of happened because it's kind of like you just feel really chill and very, very, uh, almost like you just did some meditation. And yeah, yeah, totally. Right? No, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's hard to describe it to people who haven't experienced it, but... I know exactly what you mean, yeah. Yeah, 
And it's not like just the art, it's not just the nature, it's the combination of you there moving through it, thinking about it, composing, making sure things are dialed in, and then just that whole relationship between you and the scene and everything else. And I'm probably blabbering and people are probably rolling their eyes right now. But <laughs> <laughs> For me, that's a really important part. And it's something that, at least in the back of my mind, I want to achieve almost every single time I go out there. Yeah, you me too, know, man. It's important. It is for me too, for sure. It's funny because uh, I think there's there's some photographers out there that I think you know I call them like road warriors or whatever. Like they they drive to a spot, they get out of their car, they may walk a uh, hundred yards, get that kind of iconic shot of that scene or whatever, and then move on to the next place. And that to me, I've tried that. It doesn't really do much for me, um, mm -hmm. even if it's of a classic shot or whatever. Like to me, it has to have some some personal meaning or have 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 a representation of of, of an experience kind of like what you were talking about before mm -hmm. um like to me that's the most important aspect of landscape photography for myself yeah and i think we i think you and i think a lot of in terms of that yeah um you know and i think it's you know because i think also we come back from an outdoor we come from an outdoor experience background not from a person who um their introduction to nature wasn't was was through photography alone. We sure. came back from that background, and I think, you know, obviously you are a climber who climbs way crazier things than I do, and way more often, or I ever did. I'm basically a retired climber. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think those powerful experiences and, and being up high, like you're talking about, you, you you've seen and witnessed some things that not a whole lot of people do, and and that people should. They should take the time to come sleep those areas out because it's pretty stunning and it can be very transformational at the same time you know oh yeah man like it's so funny when people ask me like oh how would you rate um like what are your top five experiences you've ever had and, I, and i'm always like uh my wedding day the birth of my son yeah. sunrise on top of this mountain <laughs> sunset on top of that mountain <laughs> like it's right up there in the top four or five of my experiences that I've ever had so um yeah and I don't know if that's just because of how it connects to me or whatever but they yeah those experiences to me are always just are always at the very top of the list yeah absolutely I mean I'm sure you feel the same way about some of your stuff in Nepal and stuff like that yeah I know definitely like just just traveling alone, you know, like it's, you just run across things that blow your mind, you know. Yeah, I mean, I wish life could be made up of more of those experiences, right? No doubt. And so it's good for you that you get out so much and climb so much because <laughs> I'm envious because you're probably opening yourselves to those experiences more often than I do, which is cool. Well, I'm trying so to. It's don't... less than I wish, but yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, so my last question, sir, is... Um, who would you love to hear on the podcast? Like if you were on iTunes on your phone and you were subscribed to have stop collaborate and listen and you're, and you pulled it up and it said, uh, such and such is on the podcast. Like who would you want that to be? Yeah. Great question. Um, well, I would definitely, I, I mean, I think Alex Noriega, that guy's a very, um, accomplished in my eyes literally one of the very premier photographers landscape photographers in the world um but also his knowledge of 
all things photography is pretty in depth and his ability to explain things is, is very, I appreciate it. Um, so I think he would be a great guest. I think he'd give a lot of great insight. Um, Jack Brower, man, if you can get that guy, I would love to hear his stories. I'd love oh to hear man, I would love that too. <laughs> oh my God. Um, definitely him. I mean, Guy Tall, if you can, if you can get him, I'm not sure if he'd be a podcast type of guy, but oh my God, I would love to somehow just sit down with a beer with that guy. And yeah, his writing is something for, else. He's such a good yeah, writer. It's, it's a lot to ingest, huh? Yeah, well, I've been, I've been following Jack Brower for a very long time. Like, um, I think you told me about him even before I really started knowing his body of work. Like, I knew who he was, uh huh. but I think you mentioned him to me when you lived in Portland. And, yeah. And, uh. That's when I started looking at his work more. Yeah, he lives like two hours from me. Yeah. I could probably just do the podcast with him in person. You could. You probably could. <laughs> that would be awesome. I have other names. Um, yeah, those are some good good people I would love to hear from. Cool, man. Well, dude, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to chat with me about our one of our more ex, you know passionate topics in our both of our worlds. Yeah, um, it was fun. Yeah, man, I appreciate it, and uh, I miss I miss hanging out with you guys. I know, actually. Well, I'll let you. We're gonna I'm gonna see those guys in a couple hours or an hour, so I'll let them know you said hello and yeah. That. You know, when you come back to town, you have to kind of hit us up for sure. For sure, for sure. I will do that. I, I'm I'm hoping to have, get back there within the next year or so. So cool. Yeah, just to visit, you know. Hey, Zupan's closed. I know. This is an aside to everyone else's knowledge, but he used to live above a store named Zupan's, and it closed. Yeah, I knew that, man. I uh, sad. I'm like, if I lived there, I'd be so so upset. Where would I buy my bombers? <laughs> <laughs>